Hi, I'm Brett Terstra, and this is Systematic on 5x5. Bandwidth for December is sponsored by Igloo. Igloo is your digital workplace. That means you can provide updates, have discussions, and share files with your team all in one place. Sign up and get started at igloosoftware.com slash 5x5. Shutterstock.com, where you'll find over 20 million stock photos, vectors, illustrations, and video clips. Start your search at Shutterstock.com to find that perfect image for your website, ad, publication, or any other creative project. Choose between image packs and monthly subscription packages. Choose whatever fits your need and never have to compromise. It's more affordable than you think, with no extra charge for large files. Just download any image in any size and pay only one price. They don't nickel and dime you for high-resolution images. To sign up for a free browse account, go to Shutterstock.com, no credit card needed. When you find the images you like and decide to purchase, use offer code DANSENTME12 and get 30% off of any package. My guest this week is Howard Budden, Ph.D. Howard Budden is a second-year neuropsychology fellow at the University of Kansas School of Medicine, and he is not yet licensed to practice, and anything that he says is for entertainment purposes only and should not be used for diagnostic or treatment purposes. Now that we have that out of the way. In addition to being a husband, father, and home entertainment enthusiast, Howard has a PhD in clinical psychology and is currently doing a postdoctoral. Is that how you say doc? Is it doctoral? Yeah, or oh. postdoctoral, postdoctoral. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I, I like postdoctoral. It, it flows better. Postdoctoral fellowship in neuropsychology at the University of Kansas School of Medicine in Wichita. He does research and statistics consultation work over at the Button Research Dynamo and writes about. Were you going to say something? Oh, no, that's, no. Oh, I thought I might have mispronounced Dynamo. No. Um, but he writes about science at the Research Dynamo blog. Um, so you've heard some of my previous episodes, Howard, and, uh, and you know that they have a lot to do with the way that I and my guests happen to think. Um, mm-hmm. I would like to say that I went out of my way to find answers to all of the questions that have come up, but you actually contacted me. But you're not here to analyze me, right? That is correct. Yes. We're just going to talk about the human mind. Right. All right. So um, let's given that we have so much to talk about, I'm going to jump right into the conversation. Um, uh, put a few uh, queries out on Twitter and app.net. And uh, a, a few people, actually quite a few people wanted to know about memory. And uh, Seth Seth Brown asked how are memories encoded, stored, and retrieved. And Tony Martinez wants to know uh, why it's hard to remember recent info and events. And I'm going to kind of blend these all together, and we can have sure. a discussion. Yeah. Um, and, you know, why is some info locked in solid? And uh, I don't know how to say it for sure, but Andres Marugo uh, wants to know if we'll ever be able to program a mind into a computer, which is definitely probably a separate conversation. But um, is what is the capacity of memory which okay so the question is how are memories encoded and stored and if it is treated the way we think of data in a in a computer on a on a hard drive how much capacity do we have and and what are the basic mechanics of that man so that is an incredibly tough question it's like scary hard <laughs> Um, so mo- most of what I deal with in, in my day-to-day work is, uh, as a neuropsychologist, is assessing 
how well the brain does what it's supposed to do. Okay, so okay. the brain is supposed to remember things, and and uh, how how well does your brain remember things <laughs> um, when we compare you to other people like you? So other people with that are about the same age and and um, that are uh, maybe with the same level of education, something like that. And and the reason we do it is because uh, taking memory specifically, since that's what we're talking about, the um, stage of your life that you're in dictates how your brain is handling memory. I guess that's maybe sort of a rough way to put it. Um, but uh, so, so when I'm assessing somebody's functional capacity, I, I want to know, like I said, how well did they do it? How well did they encode? Um, and I, I, I think that the, the question was encode, stored, and retrieved, right? Yeah, correct. So that's great terminology. Um, those are the terms we often use to talk about memory. Um, the how portion of it is very, very, very uncertain. Um, the, the mechanics of it, I guess is what we're talking about, right? That that's my question. Um, I'm sure that uh, Seth Brown uh, had more um, abstract intentions, but yeah. it's hard to say from a tweet. Yeah. So, well, let me back up then and 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 say to 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 you and to Seth Brown. I don't know. Um, nobody knows. <laughs> uh, the the uh, the way that the brain does these things is still very much a mystery. Now, that being said, um, there are some answers to this. There are some theories behind this, if you will. Um, there's not one single theory. Uh, there's a, um, what's called a three stage model, which is, uh, sort of gets to what, uh, Seth was asking. Right. So we talk about encoding um, the registration, the paying attention to something. OK, so when we're encoding a memory, we're focused on it. Um, studying for a test. Um, you are actively focused on the material and it is effectively being piped into a region after a very short period of time. If you're rehearsing it, uh, typically. And I'm going to use really sort of broad strokes here. So uh, please don't anybody out there write angry emails to me. Uh, it's piped to a region called the hippocampus. Okay. Um, the hippocampus uh, or the hippocampi, are, uh, the, it's the region of the brain most typically associated with memory. And uh, if you were to kind of put your fingers on your ears sort of towards the front and go in a little bit deep. That's about where they are. They're not in the middle of the brain, but they're kind of in the middle. And the, the hippocampus is the region uh, responsible or associated with consolidation of memories. So what that means is that all these things that you're paying attention to and that you're trying to learn are sort of a jumbled mess. And then they get sent over to the hippocampus and they get formed into more cohesive memories 
if you really rehearse something a lot, then it will move from the hippocampus to other parts of the brain. And it depends on uh, what that memory is. You know, if we're talking about a visual memory uh, versus a verbal memory, um, typically those are associated with different areas of the brain. Um, but there are lots of interesting cases where people will have parts of their brains removed that are associated with, you know, primarily visual memories, uh, and they'll still be able to encode, store, and retrieve visual information. Quick side question, uh, simple yes or no. Is, is it true that olfactory memories are the most powerful? That is yes. So, I, I have um, I'm, I'm kind of familiar with that, and it seems from the research that they are extraordinarily powerful. I found uh, that to be true myself. Yeah, and I think it's because, like, if you think about what it is that the memory, uh, what what it is you're trying to remember, like if it's a visual thing, you can look back at it, right? Um. If it's a sound, maybe you can reproduce that sound. You know, you can describe the qualities of it if you see it or hear it. But with smell, it's not quite as easy necessarily, you know, to smell back, you know. Right. You can only you can only relate smells to other smells. Like it's the only real way to convey what something smells like. Right. Totally. I hadn't thought about that before. Yeah. Yeah. It's like your ability to access that again is sort of related to how powerful um, that memory is, how how, uh, long it will last without being uh, stimulated again. Hmm. Okay, so that that was my side question. Um, Is uh, is is this uh, hip hip? I'm sorry. Hippocampi. Uh, yeah, hippocampi, plural, hippocampi. Yeah, is this what's often referred to in, like, Psych 101 as the black box? Uh, okay, I should say, I shouldn't say commonly. In in my uh, decade-old uh, classes, they taught us that there was, uh, like, I, I believe they referred to it as the black box, kind of in the front of the psyche that process short-term memories and decided what would be passed to long-term storage. Right. Is that off base or? No, that's a, that's a fair comparison. I mean, if, even if it's from a different kind of theoretical perspective, sure. Um, then I guess you could, I guess you could think of it that way. So what makes a memory become a long-term memory? How does it, how, as, as Tony said, how is it uh, locked in solid? Rehearsal, plain and simple. Um, and that, like most things I'm going to say, these are, you know, generalizations, but rehearsal uh, is the single uh, best way to remember something and ensure that it will be locked in. I mean, anything from learning a song, right? Like, if you really want to learn it well, play it a bunch of times till it becomes automatic, right? Like, think about when, you know, you were in bands and and learning tunes, uh, eventually that song becomes automatic. You're not looking at your fingers on the fretboard. Um, You're not thinking about what note is next. Uh, You can just focus on banging your head. Is is there a secondary 
like I've developed this kind of idea that if I make connections between two memories and like a simple, like whether it's a mnemonic or uh, like some kind of uh, correlation, those mm-hmm. memories tend to stick better for me. Totally. But it do- that doesn't feel like any kind of rote memory as so much as I've just created like pathways to the information. Is yeah. that, is that reasonable? That is more than reasonable. Yeah, absolutely. Um, in fact, drawing those associations between two or more things um, is a kind of like higher order thinking, the problem solving, right? So right thank you're you. You're super smart. <laughs> <laughs> um, the, it makes it easier. You know, there's different strategies that people uh, espouse and, and, you know, that, that that will say, well, if you want to remember something better, try and think of some, you know, some connection, even if it's absurd. Um, you know, I do that a lot with, uh, passwords, right? Sure. Um, I want to make a hard to remember password. Um, but there are hard to crack password, but easy to remember rather. (laughs) Um, and like one of my favorite ones, I totally can't say it, but, you know, it makes no sense to anybody but me. Um, so, yeah, you draw those connections between between two things versus rote memory, which is uh, just that sort of brute force rehearsal. Yeah. Um, where you're not associating it with any other thing or any other thought. And you're just simply pounding away until it's in there. Yeah, I'm not very good at that part. I don't have the dedication to to force. I don't rehearse well, I guess is what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> well, don't, see, and, and that's not necessarily a good way to do it because that, that rote memorization is one of the kinds of ways of learning that is the most susceptible to um, decay. So meaning that uh, I can translate that it, it, you're most likely to forget it. Even sure. Hammered away. Stop using it and it goes away. Yeah. Versus if you draw that association, it's so much more powerful. And and then if you tie it, uh, if you tie two things together that are like abstract concepts, I mean, then it's really game on. Uh, that's really powerful stuff. So is everything that everything in short term memory that isn't connected to something for me seems to go away pretty fast. Uh, like what I, I believe I was told at some point in my life that it was during sleep that those memories were kind of transferred uh, selectively from short term to long term memory. Like what wh- where does that transition happen? And is there any rhyme or reason to what we remember and what becomes just a hole in our memory? Um. Yeah. The, so the the process that um by by which memories move from that that sort of store, you know, I guess that black box into uh, memory or the long term memory or secondary memory uh, is called the long term potentiation and when that happens your brain is actually physically making new connections between neurons 
Uh, it's not growing new neurons or anything like that, but the structure of, of your brain is changing, uh, which is just remarkable. I mean, j- to, to think about that, uh, you know, you, everybody knows your brain is organic and all that, but that it's actually physically changing like that throughout your life is, you know, it's, it's just an amazing thing to me. So in terms of what gets in there versus what gets out or that doesn't stick around, like, I mean, if you're really setting out to remember it, like we were just talking about, then that's a pretty good way to to help ensure that it's going to make it into those memory stores. Um, if you're just talking about two events, you know, or, or more events that you're not trying to purposefully remember, I, you know, I don't really know what would make one go in there versus the other. And, and oftentimes it's, it may not even be quite that simple. Maybe tons of stuff goes in there that we don't know about. And, and then, uh, you know, years later and going back to smell is a great example. You know, years later, you will, uh, have this, uh, experience. You'll smell something and boom, whatever was associated with that smell when you first experienced it or were exposed to it comes flooding back in, you know, even though you made no attempt to really remember it. Um, so, as far as how those things, how our brains sort that stuff out, I don't really know. But we love mysteries, right? Totally, totally. I, it's one of the things I love about my job the most is just seeing just the the most insane things, the most remarkable things. And and to be fair, not to be too much of a downer, you know, some very terrible things as well. Um, but all things that involve the brain changing, uh, in, in some way. And it is just the way that your brain will adapt to circumstances is, is just insane. Um, okay. So how about, um, uh, the idea of creating, recreating a mind, a human mind and a computer. Okay. So this is, uh, I was actually thinking about this the other day. Um, even before, or I came across this article that was published uh, that we got uh, put up on Ars Technica this past week um, where they were, I mean, it was a nice uh, article they did about uh, another article that was published in Science Magazine, I think, or Nature. Uh, I got it right here, actually. Science. Yeah. So basically what they did in this one was they, they effectively wired up a brain with a couple of million neurons and, uh, the, uh, the neurons were, were not neurons. I mean, they were representative of and said, you know, what, what can we do? And, uh, with this guy and, um, what can we make it do at the end of the day, the result of it is, um, that they went through all this work and in this brain could do just these basic fundamental things. I think it was like recognizing um, numbers and letters, something like that, which is remarkable. I mean, I'm not certainly not taking away from the experiment, but I think the authors of that uh, would totally agree that their, their model brain is, is nowhere near 
um, what a human brain is. And I guess if we talk about, you know, drawing the parallels between computers and brains, well, that's a pretty popular comparison. Um, a comparison that's been made since the first computers were around. Um, because on the surface, computers seem to work like brains, right? Like they can do all these amazing things. They seem more powerful than brains and they can certainly process certain types of information faster than people can and, and so forth. Um, but at the end of the day, uh, the computer is totally dependent upon, um, well, I guess there's many different ways to go later, but it's totally dependent upon um, a user or an outside source to constantly feed it information um, even if it's being set up to monitor, you still have to tell it to set up the monitor, right? Um, sure. If if technology continues to uh, advance at the rate that it is, yeah, like the whole ten times every ten years, whatever it is, um, yeah. would it would it ever be possible to create? I mean, granted, someone has to flip a switch, but if you had all the sensory inputs and it was storing all of this data from around it, yeah, and memory was uh, like not uh, limited to the sizes that it is right now, is it feasible? Based on this study that that you saw in ours, uh, could that be extrapolated to something even remotely as powerful as a human brain? Um. Yes. It, so I, I don't worry. You have a disclaimer. <laughs> I, you know, I'm just trying to to think about all the things that a brain is, right? Um, and I'm also going to try and not be like difficult with answering this question. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I tend to be that way. It's one of like my biggest. Uh, you know, it's where I really need to shore things up a bit. Um, so the short answer is. I would say yes, um, that could I imagine a future where people become so advanced that they've recreated uh, an entity that is on par with the human brain that gets into like Isaac Asimov stuff, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, and I, I'm not deeply familiar with his work, but you know, eventually, uh, humans evolved into God, you know? So, uh, in, in the vein uh, that, that anything is possible, um, I, I have to believe that at some point that is a possibility. It's hard for me to wrap my head around it, though. And maybe that's a limitation of, of my imagination or my willingness to accept um, that a machine could be like that. Because beyond just cognition, you know, brains are responsible for um everything that we are, you know, our emotion, our being. I was going to say emotion is probably, that's probably the key in all sci-fi that goes in this direction, whether it's Dick or Herbert or Asimov, mm -hmm. like it always comes down to feeling emotion as kind of being the pinnacle mm -hmm. of a technological simulation of a brain. Right. And it, uh, is, is emotion at all logical like can you break that down i this is way too big a question to do before <laughs> the second sponsor but um it, it are uh, i'm not even sure there are so many questions in the area of emotion that i didn't actually put into the show notes so i'm gonna let them ride for now okay um 
there was one Twitter question that asked uh, whether human brains are hardwired to be compassionate or mm-hmm. I can't remember the term they used, uh, like compassionate or aggressive. Mm-hmm. Is is there an easy answer to that? Yeah, I guess thinking about um, uh, autism, autism spectrum disorders. So one of the things that we look for is called emotional reciprocity. Okay. And so emotional reciprocity means that you're able to look at me if I'm happy and share that happiness with me or be happy for me. Right. Uh, if I'm sad, you can feel sorry for me or, you know, empathize or sympathize. So, you know, think could like a computer think about could a computer ever feel sorry for you or think about what it would be like if your computer could be sorry with you. That would just be bizarre. Um, and I don't even know if I'd want that. <laughs> but, uh, like with, with uh, getting back to the autism uh, d- part of this is that um, individuals, some individuals, not all, but some individuals with autism will uh, lack or have uh, what what seems to be a lack of emotional reciprocity. So if if mom is sitting there and super sad and crying, they're just kind of sitting there literally being like, you know, they might be off in the corner playing. You sure. know, there's not that empathy um, or sympathy uh, like you would expect. So the the hardwiring aspect of the brain um, it's in you have people that have with autism who may have structurally different brains in some way uh whether that relates specifically to those differences in emotion is not clear um but it does appear that you know certain aspects of emotion may be wired uh, in into our brains, I just real quickly, I, it just made me think of um, oh, this is kind of a terrible story, but sort of a happy ending. <laughs> um, I had a, a patient. Uh, I, I was testing a patient many many years ago, and uh, this was a younger fellow who I think he was like twenty twenty one years old um, that had an accident where. It was almost like the Phineas Gage story that you learn in Psych 101 where he had the tamping rod that went through his uh, chin and came out the top of his brain. It was sort of like that. And he had a large portion of his frontal lobes just sort of uh, removed effectively, if you will. But before that, he was super depressed. And after that, he was really happy. And he went out and got a job. And he had a girlfriend and all these great things. Um, so things like that provide a lot of good evidence that, uh, you know, yes, our personalities and our emotions and our ways of being and interacting are unquestionably wired in in some way. Um, the hardwiring to a specific places. So you're advocating lobotomy? Uh, trepanation. specifically. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. No, of course. Uh, I can't do that. Anything I say is for entertainment purposes only. I'm entertained. <laughs> and I'm going to uh, jump into our second sponsors so we can uh, move on to the next portion. Um, 
Our next sponsor is Squarespace, everything you need to make an amazing website. Squarespace is a fully hosted, completely managed environment for creating and maintaining a beautiful website, blog, or portfolio. This means that no matter how much or how little experience you have with building websites, you can build something amazing in minutes. You don't have to worry about hosting, scaling, or integration with social services like Twitter and Facebook. They have beautiful, clean templates, and everything in this platform is drag-and-drop, and everything is integrated. Layout Engine is Squarespace's page builder. It allows you to create custom layouts for each of your pages in seconds. You add blocks of content such as photos, videos, text, social media content, and tons more. You don't have to worry about what your site will look like on a mobile device. When you add images or design pages with Squarespace, your entire site will restructure automatically to fit on every device and maintain the beauty of the site's design. If you like stats, you'll love the real-time analytics that are built into Squarespace. There are even iOS and Android apps that let you manage and post on the go. You can import your content from your current blog and easily set up sharing and syncing with your social media accounts. As always, Squarespace delivers award-winning 24-7 customer support that responds in minutes. They also have live online workshops to walk you step-by-step through everything you need to know to build an amazing site. When you sign up for a year of Squarespace, you get a free custom domain name, which you can link with just a few clicks. Squarespace is $10 a month for the standard plan and $20 a month for the unlimited plan. If you sign up for a year, you automatically get 20% off, and if you sign up for two years, you get 25% off. You can also pay month to month. There's no credit card required to try it out. Simply go to squarespace.com slash 5x5 and start your trial. If you decide to purchase, click enter an offer code below the pricing at checkout and enter the code SNOWBALLS for an additional 10% off. Go check out Squarespace, everything you need to make an amazing website. Hot damn, that was the best read I've ever done. That right there was rote memory. (laughs) I've done that ad so many times. Okay. Okay. That's from memory? That wasn't wasn't from memory, but when my brain starts to read ahead and I stumble over words. Yeah. uh, Like in this case, I had the backup because I knew what it was going to say. Yeah. And it was just kind of like extending the carpet in front of me as I stumbled down it. There you go. That's rehearsal. I mean, (laughs) doing subcon, you know, after so many times, your brain just encodes that stuff. Well, and what I've started doing is start, I I rewrite the the copy before I go on the air. And Mm -hmm. uh, in the process of kind of retyping and rephrasing things. Yeah. Definitely helps, helps me store the the words plus i put the commas in the right places which really helps when you're reading but anyway next topic is actually uh motivation i got quite a few questions on twitter um about uh how 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 uh tricks of the brain uh motivate us or how we can how we can kind of uh hack the mind Mm-hmm. to improve motivation and and then uh some questions about what drives procrastination uh as james marwood put it uh especially late night stressy inability to act um so i guess those are the two areas uh, I'll, I'll i'll split it up the first question uh is is rooted in a, in a twitter question that said why do apps like lift weight bot and run keeper and gadgets like fitbit help trick you into living a healthier life? Is it, is it the counting? Uh, is it, is there some other factor there? So that's kind of, that's getting, 
So it's a little bit out, outside of my wheelhouse, but not totally. So I'm happy to do the best I can to answer that question. Um, so when we talk about these kinds of gadgets and apps that like, uh, you know, in some way, shape, provide a new twist on an old thing, which is essentially trying to form good habits, right? Yeah. Um, uh, and to, to what extent these things help make running or going to the gym suck less? Um, <laughs> the, the, the motivation aspect of this is that, I guess if we're talking about it as it relates to the brain, um, the it gets down into maybe some of this stuff gets into your, your value system. Okay. And and what I mean by that is like the incentives behind it. Um, the consequences behind behaviors and, and, and so forth. So like with counting, was that one related to this one? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, so counting, um, if it's, if it's like the number of miles you've run or, or, or something like that, um, that provides immediate reinforcement for your behavior. So we're more likely to behave in a certain way if we feel good about what we've done or, um, if we see some benefit in it, right? So if you run and you run and you, you don't keep track of it, then, there's no immediate obvious payout for it. But if you run a half a mile the first day and a half a mile the second day and third day, but then the fourth day you run three quarters of a mile and you're keeping track of this stuff, that's a reward in, in, in a way. That's uh, you've, you've, uh, there, there's some clear, tangible payout, if you will, uh, from what you're doing. So the payout from your efforts is the ability to lift more weight or run further. And because we've now attached, um, a measurable outcome to that, then we can sort of start to see the incentives behind it. Uh, each of these things, I'm not familiar with all these. I know Fitbit, um, basically they all, uh, Actually, I don't know lift or weight bot either. I assume they are very similar to as far as just adding um, uh, statistical tracking to yeah. a workout. Yeah. I mean, the names behind these things should be tied pretty explicitly to <laughs> the does, I guess, right? <laughs> I, I assume that lift has something to do with lifting. Yeah. <laughs> it's not, yeah, it doesn't uh, relate to uh, stealing stuff, I guess. <laughs> Although there are some positive reinforcements there as well. (laughs) Totally. Um, So the incentives, the payouts, and and, uh, we're more likely to behave or repeat a behavior if, again, if we see it being a payout attached to it. Is there a reason that that, okay, for people like me, Mm -hmm. and I can't can't speak for anybody else, but I know that for me, those statistics – are more powerful than the physical benefit. Mm-hmm. Like being able to lift more weight is secondary to knowing that I had this progression that I can see on a chart. Right. So do you like, I guess I'll ask, like, do you, do you like compete with yourself in that way? Do you find yes. ever? Yes. Yeah. If I'm not improving at something, I lose the motivation to continue doing it. Right. And that makes very good sense. 
Um, and in that competition with yourself, and I know, cause I'm like the same way, like, you know, I want to be better at it, even if it's just, you know, if I'm not competing with anybody else, it doesn't matter. Like I got to do this thing and I got to do it better. Yeah. Uh, and it's for the same reasons. Yeah. Like you are not going to keep doing something that, you know, like you say, even if you're, you know, lifting the weight is secondary, that number's got to go up. Um, and it's the same principle, really. It's just what you perceive as the more important of the two, I guess. And um, maybe, I don't know, are you, are you a big gamer? Not at all. Okay. Yeah, as I say, I know that sometimes when, when that, uh, with people that are big gamers, those numbers will sometimes be even more salient. Yeah, uh, see, I'm, I'm not, I, like, I can't play anything on a console. Mm-hmm. Um, I get super bored, but I game everything. Like everything mm-hmm. I, I count points basically in everything I do. Mm-hmm. So it's not that I don't have the personality to game. Yeah. I just can't do it with a, a D pad in my hand. And Right. Yeah. And it can be just things in your environment that you do over and over. Like I want to be able to do that better, better. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, even something as mundane, God, I do this all the time. I'm like always, <laughs> this is going to sound so lame. I'm always looking for a better way, a more efficient way to cut the grass. Um, <laughs> I know what you're talking about. What path is uh-huh. going to result in the best cut that gets done the fastest? The most efficient, fewest turns, uh, lowest circumference spent in the turn. Totally. Yes, totally. I've been there. That kind of stuff. I mean, I'm in my head out there when I'm cutting the grass. Like, you would never know it. <laughs> I'm programming it in my mind. I'm like, if I were a Roomba and I were going to get this done as quickly as possible. Totally. Yeah. Like, think like a lime mold. Just don't go anywhere you've been and only be efficient. Um, yeah. Absolutely. So that's the same principle, you know. And then the payout can be intrinsic. Like, it's self-rewarding, you know. Like, I feel better because I've found the shortest path to cutting the grass while still doing an awesome job um or you know i can lift more weight or you know beat this game it's all the that valuation uh your your the way you see that outcome so does that relate then i mean these are all like they're positive reinforcements or they're at least not negative punishments um or positive punishments um if you're going to be all behaviorist about it but um, like there's procrastination, it, it, like this uh, procrastination generally results in increased stress and rarely in uh, a, like a real benefit. Mm-hmm. What drives that? And is it related to like, is it kind of an inverse of the the uh, reinforcement that we're talking about? In a, in a way, so like you're avoiding a potential, you know, something that you see as an unpleasant event or thing, right? Like paying bills or doing homework or cutting the grass potentially, you know. So you avoid those things that are less fun sure, <laughs> or things that are around you that are more fun. And how hard is it to find something that's more fun than any of those things I just listed? Well, not very. Um you know, I deal with the same kinds of things and, uh, you, you know, I mean, you, you talk about these things on, on the show all the time, like how do, how do you sort of beat that? Um, how do you become more productive? 
Um, so how do you, how do you hack that? So there's one, one, one of the, I remember one of the principles that jumps in my, into my mind is called the pre-Mac principle where like, this is really useful for kids that don't want to do it, but you can apply it to yourself, um, is that you make something that's more enjoyable, dependent on doing the thing that's less enjoyable. So for kids, it's like you can watch TV or, you know, uh, play video games if and only when you do your homework. And so in adults, it takes more, you know, you have to be self-disciplined about it. Like, well, you know, I really want to do this, do this thing. Um, I need to do this thing or it would be helpful if I did this other thing, paying bills. Um, So I'll pay the bills or I'll pay five bills and then I'll, you know, go play guitar for 15 minutes. Um, That's the that's the the nature of the beast. Now, how you actually go about making that happen is, is much more complex. Like, I mean, when I would do therapy, when I was in graduate school, um, before I got really out of that, you know, we would do things like this in, in therapy, all that I'd work on uh, skills like this with, with people in therapy all the time. And it, you really have to evaluate your environment and sort of see like what's getting in the way of you accomplishing your goal and how can you get that out of your way? Um, it's, it's a fairly extensive process. It's really not that hard to do to beat procrastination um, in terms of the actions themselves, right? Like it's, you just pay the bills, right? Um, it's hard to, <laughs> It's, it's hard to break out of the bad habits and get into the good habits and keep the bad habits from coming back. That's the challenge. So, well, is, is procrastination the bad habit you're talking about? Because yeah, I mean, essentially, essentially, I mean, avoidance behavior. Yeah. Really- okay. Cause paying bills is never going to be a habit for me. Right. <laughs> but putting off paying bills is already a habit. Yeah. So, Yeah. And so basically you you would say the, the kind of stuff that us productivity people always talk about. Did you see my air quotes? Um, yes. <laughs> like basically break the task down, reward yourself after, you know, you, you accomplish what you said was your, you know, current goal. Mm-hmm. And, and so you're saying that works. Totally. Yeah. I mean, I think I said, you know, like uh, paying the bills or pay five bills. Yeah. yeah. You know, that, that was the part I heard. I can do five bills. Yeah, totally. And, and, and so the idea there is that if you're to get back to that question earlier um, about the brain tricking itself, right? Like you can kind of trick yourself into feeling really good about doing that thing because you've accomplished a goal, you know? So um, one of the problems that we see with people that are um, constantly saying, well, I can't do that. It's this huge thing or it's just too much work or whatever is like, Okay, well, let's break it down into smaller units. And, you know, so uh, the trick is figuring out what is the minimum that you think you can do. So is if you've got 20 bills to pay, can you pay two bills? Well, yeah, sure. Um, or, you know, is 10 bills too much? So, yeah, breaking it down, making it into manageable tasks is really uh, one of the big keys to success. I have a task. All right. It's sponsor three. Right can on. you believe we're at almost an hour already? I was just looking at my clock. Yeah. I don't have to pick this up a little. So, <laughs> all right. Sponsor three, prop and go. 
Uh, Prop and Go lets you relax and enjoy your iPad. Prop and Go is an iPad lap stand that easily adjusts to fit your ergonomic needs. If you watch movies in bed or play games on the couch but get tired of holding or precariously balancing your device, Prop and Go is perfect. After a long day at the office, let Prop and Go work for you. It can do all the propping and holding on your lap, stomach, bed, or table. Prop, I'm sorry, I had to think about that for a second. Prop and Go fits every iPad, including the iPad Mini and almost every other tablet, like the Kindle or Nexus 7. There's nothing you have to add to your device to work with Prop and Go. Simply set your device down and you're done. iPad Mini with no case works perfectly. iPad in an OtterBox case fits wonderfully. Any tablet in or out of a case just works. You can even get Prop and Go with a padded zipper storage pocket to put your iPad and accessories in when you're done. Check it out at propandgo.com. That's P-R-O-P-N-G-O.com. Get a 17% discount on your order by using the code DANSENTME. You can also purchase Prop and Go on Amazon with free shipping. Nice short one. Um, I think we should probably jump to our our three picks, and then uh, if we have more... Well, if we want to talk, I know we have a lot more to cover here based on the questions I gave you, but, um, but we'll do the top picks and see where we're at, if that's cool with you. All right. So why don't you go ahead and kick us off with your first top pick? All right. Um, let's see. <clears throat> I will start off with papers. Cool. Mac OS 10 and papers is just it's so central to my day-to-day work um, from a clinical and research end that I don't know it just it was such a game changer for me I started using it like five or six years ago and what it is um, is it's the best way to think of it is like iTunes for academic journal articles um, but without the nastiness of iTunes. Um, you, you can, your, your, your papers are, they show up in, in the application, just like songs do in iTunes and they're listed and everything like that. And I'm going to pull it up here just so I can have some sort of visual cues to talk about this. Um, and on, on the left side, there's, uh, you have a sidebar, which, among other things, you can create folders and smart folders to uh, fire these papers, these articles into various collections. And it, they work just like uh, folders and smart folders elsewhere in the uh, um, in the OS. Um, and the beautiful part about these folders is that you can put as many articles into as many different folders as you'd like. So it's it's almost kind of like um, would it be right to say it's almost like proxy a proxy for tagging, where um, you know tagging means you don't have to have you you can associate things that are not necessarily in the same folder together. Yeah, it's the same concept, yeah. With this one, you're putting a copy of a paper in there. Uh, I can have a copy of a paper in every folder if I'd like, and that's extraordinarily helpful. Uh, before I had it. Everybody I knew that did research had the same problem, which is that like, you know, one article belongs in so many folders. So like the one I'm looking at in front of me now, um, uh, 
predicting estimates of a pre-morbid memory function validation in a dementia sample. It's I very just read sexy. that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was nice. all over the uh, web the other day. Um, <laughs> so, you know, I might want to put that into my memory folder. Um, I might want to put it in my uh, neuropsych testing folder um, or my geriatric cohort folder because it belongs in those three things. These are all these uh, articles all have keywords associated with them. You seriously have a geriatric cohort folder? I totally have. The folder's called cohorts. <laughs> adolescents, adults, children, <laughs> geriatric female, geriatric male, and geriatric all. Wow. Yeah. It's <laughs> like, because you can do this, um, it, it, I, you know, there's sort of no limit on the number of folders you can create. It's as long as it fits in with your schema, uh, you know, and it makes sense to you really. That's all that matters. Um, and, uh, the other key feature of it for me, because there are so many is that it has repositories, uh, that you can search, and so repositories are um, like archives, spelled A-R-X-I-V, um, which I believe is a project that started at Cornell, um, PubMed, JSTOR, Google Scholar. Um, basically, what you have is effectively a browser window uh, that pops up with each of these repositories. And I can set search terms. I can use uh, predefined searches, whatever it is I'm looking for, uh, using keywords um, and assign them to the title or authors or whatever. And it'll pull the 30 most recent articles with that title. And then it'll save that search. And every time I just click on the search, it'll repopulate with the newest 30 articles. Uh, and so what, what that means, like why that's important is because like digging up articles is a huge pain in the neck. It's such a time suck. And so using this as a sort of like, uh, almost like a feed aggregator, like you don't have to go looking for these things anymore. They just come to you. And that is such a tremendous, uh, game changer when, when you talk about having to comb through all these searches all the time and just have them set up to automatically come to you. Um, it, it, it's just, it's a wild, wild thing. And it's only for, it, only if you were like a, a real super sciencey nerd, would you really be able to dig this thing? But I love it. Have you used Bibdesk? Uh, I have Bibdesk and I have not yet used it. I only a couple of months ago, finally took the plunge and did a full LaTeX install. Yeah. Um, and which Bibdex, wait, is Bibdesk the one I'm thinking of? It's the site is Bibdesk. Let me make sure it's the one I'm thinking of. The There's site. one that's similar to papers. It's like a free version of papers, but I don't, I don't research anything, so I don't know what the, uh, there's a couple of them out there. Um, yeah, yeah they are. Because I've looked at them in the past just to see. Yeah, uh, Bibdesk does. It's got like, um, it, it'll recognize bibliographic information from like Google Scholar, ACM, HubMed, stuff like that. I honestly, yeah. like, I don't know anything about this stuff. I was just wondering if, uh, if you had a quick comparison. 
there are a couple out there that are like papers and that are free. And again, you said it was Bibdesk? Yeah. I do have that. It's part of the tech installation. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Yeah. No, I have not gotten it. I've opened it, but I haven't, you know, it was like that, that tech install is rather large. So you kind of <laughs> like, like two gigs. Yeah. <laughs> you're kind of like overwhelmed with the fundamentals, I guess. Yes. And I don't even know how to use LaTeX. So I don't <sighs> do math. I don't do site. I don't do citations. I have no reason to learn this and I probably never will get myself to. I will talk a little bit more about that a little bit later with um, another pick, but okay. I'll well, given that I have nothing really to add to this, I'll uh, I'll jump to my first pick, and uh, I'm going to talk about Fantastical iOS uh, from Flexibits, and I've been beta testing this for a while and have been dying to talk about it, and uh, um, it is it's an iPhone version of Fantastical, which if you've ever ever used it on the desktop, gives you the ability to type in completely natural language. And create calendar events and tasks. And um, uh, basically, you could say, like, uh, lunch with Howard, noon tomorrow. And mm-hmm. it would create uh, an event with an alarm for noon tomorrow called lunch with Howard. Mm-hmm. And uh, and the iPhone version is, it's all of that, you know, all your, your language recognition and everything. Uh, but it also has a great calendar overview and the... Um, the interface, the gesture-based interface is just awesome. Uh, it's super fast to uh, flip through like the current month or drop down to a year view or view like a grid or view all of your upcoming events as a list. And you, it's so intuitive. It, it just, it kind of blows me away. I'm really impressed with what Flexibits did on this. So um, I forgot so- to check the price as usual. I don't remember how much it costs. Probably find that out pretty quick, though. Yeah. Why don't you go ahead? Because I know uh, your next one's going to take some explanation. So go ahead with number two, and I'll let you know the price when I get to my number two. Okay. Um, yeah. So my my next pick is Pandoc. Is that the one you were thinking of? Yes. Okay. Good. Um, so there is a ton to talk about with Pandoc, fortunately, or I guess maybe, uh, it's so deep that there's no way, like, I don't, I don't, I would never use it like as fully as it could be used. I don't know that anybody would, but the way that I do use it, uh, is well for its purpose to convert files. I guess I should mention its core feature first, right? (laughs) So (laughs) Pandoc is, as the uh, site says, a universal document converter. And it really is when I came across it, maybe really just a few months ago, I I remember just thinking like, how, how have I never heard of this? I mean, it, it seems like this is like the world's greatest. It just takes almost whatever file type you can throw at it um and and can convert it to another so like go from like i do a lot of i I do almost all all of my my um writing in in markdown or multi-markdown and it'll take that and turn it into um if i'm doing a web web work uh web page so to html uh or to um 
Word, Microsoft Word. It'll convert it to DocX files uh, as well as to LaTeX. Um, and it's important for me because in the clinic where I work, everybody still uses Microsoft Word. Not hard to imagine. Um, and I can't stand working in that application. So I do all my report writing, all my research papers um, in plain text or, or markdown or multi-markdown and then use Pandoc to convert it to whatever I need it to be, which again, usually ends up being Microsoft Word, but it means I don't have to mess with any of that. Uh, I can just type it um, and, and, and get it fired off right at the last minute and just paste it straight into a, an empty Word document. Um, and I actually, have you, have you installed the Pandoc package through Sublime? Yes. Yeah. And, oh man, that, the way that package managed is just ridiculous. <laughs> like, <laughs> I am not even a, a programmer or, I mean, you know, the things that I do are just like, so lightweight, but it, it might, and it might seem like overkill to use sublime text for like so much of the writing that I do, but holy cow, like just being able to call Pandoc right from that package manager and then just tell it whatever file I needed to go out to versus going into iTerm or, or, or whatever and using the command line. It's just ridiculous how quick that thing is. Did, did Do you, you write Markdown in Sublime Text then? Yeah. Do you have the Smart Markdown package installed? Probably. It gives you like uh, collapsible headers and quick header navigation with keyboard shortcuts and stuff like that? Probably. I think I went through that. Uh, I think I one day I like went through all the packages and like just installed all the more <laughs> until you didn't know what did what anymore. <laughs> There's a new package out that actually will show you all your keyboard conflicts. So you know why something's not working. I need that. Uh, no. I'll, no. I'll, I'll send you a link, but I installed, um, Oh, what was it? That, um, that productive max bundle. Yeah. I got that. And, and, um, optimal layout was the application I put in there. And, all of a sudden, I was using like Option Command two and is uh, is a as a keyboard shortcut. Mm-hmm. Other one and Optimal Layout has that set as a global shortcut yeah. to send the window off one way. And all of a sudden, <laughs> my was just like, "Bam!" <laughs> yeah, I, I use Moom, and I have about twenty shortcuts that I set, and then I think they don't conflict with anything, and then. Especially in Sublime, where there are so many keyboard shortcuts, I always hit something and, yeah, windows go flying. And Yeah. I, I found kind of a workaround as I as I did. Inst- I have Better Touch Tool installed, and it's getting to the point where, and I don't know if this is just going to cause more confusion on my end, but having I, – I only have a few um, gestures in Better Touch Tool, but it's like – there's so much going on on my keyboard that it's now spilling over into the trackpad <laughs> and better touch tool is <laughs> going to be the thing that saves me from myself. I don't yes. Know. Anyway, about Pandoc, um, I I've also found that if you, um, if you use extensions in your markdown that are, uh, specific to something that Pandoc doesn't read, uh, like a certain format for footnotes or tables or whatever, um, it's really easy to combine combine pandoc in a like a piped command line 
to run multi-markdown or cram down or whatever on your markdown and then pipe that straight to pandoc as html and then output it as you know uh rtf or docx epub it can do slidey and s5 slideshows and yeah it does some awesome stuff if I if I am imagining right what you were talking about, I think I've had to do something like that before. You mean like using the command line markdown tools, multi markdown tools? Right. Yeah. Because Pandoc? Pandoc has its own native extensions to markdown. Yeah. But they they're not always the same syntax as I prefer to use. Yeah. But it's still like it becomes like the end point for a lot of conversions for me. Yeah, I've I've had to do something similar to that before um, with with using those. Although I don't know if I've used, I don't know if I was smart enough to just pipe one into the other. I probably just ran two separate ones. But that's a good idea. Do you use MathJax at all? No, I don't know. Okay, okay, good. (laughs) (laughs) I have to as with my app marked. I I have a lot of academics using it, Uh and uh, MathJax is required. And I've had to learn way too much about equations and math jacks and all of these like uh math ml rendering functions and pandoc i was just looking at the the help file and it it handles math jacks and i was just wondering if you had any experience with that no i don't i do a ton of statistics but i don't need to i don't need i'm not that i'm not a statistician by trade so i leave the calculus to them it does email obfuscation Oh, yeah. I suppose multi-markdown and markdown both do that generally. Like turn your email address into a string of uh, of ASCII uh, references, so it's it, not easily robot readable. The 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 documentation for this thing is just it's ridiculous. It is. It really is. I've always wanted to find a way to uh, license and embed it in another app, but it's rather large in its uh, native form. Yeah, I I can't imagine. Um, I I can't imagine having something like this in a, a GUI would be would be quite nice. But I guess with the um, that that package plugin, that's pretty close right now. But what I guess getting back to the the point, it's just it's, it was such a a fantastic find. And again, it's just sort of. Maybe maybe it's better known than I realize in certain circles. I'm sure it is, but uh, in certain circles, in my circles, it's well known. But I, I don't. I doubt the average person I talk to would have any idea what I meant when I said Pandoc. Yeah, yeah, no, totally. Even among Markdown users. Yeah, it, I, and I think part of that there's such a huge wall now with. Um, the proliferation of markdown editors, text editors that are so super friendly, I guess. And and they're just kind of everywhere. You know, you you throw a rock and you hit one, it bounces and hits another, um, that, uh, you know, there would be no incentive, you know, to go back to incentives (laughs) (laughs) for the average person to use something like Panda. Yeah. Oh, well, but we're not average. (laughs) <laughs> okay, so my number two. Oh, uh, first, I uh Fantastical for iPhone is only a dollar ninety nine and it's totally worth it, even if you just want to play with the calendar interface. It's really cool. Um, I've never heard or read about it, it says the same thing. It, it, it I guarantee it. I've been using it long enough to say it's just one hundred percent perfect for on the go calendar scheduling. But my number two is actually 
an app called Unclutter, uh, which is it's it's a very kind of uh, one trick pony app that uh, it's available on the App Store. And when you move your mouse up to the very top of your screen and scroll down, it drops down a drawer that shows you what's currently in your clipboard, has a little file cubby, and it has a notepad, like a scratch pad. Um, and if you drag files from your desktop into the file cubby... Pulling in stock photos. <laughs> I heard that. Sorry about that. <laughs> That's okay. Um, if you drag files from your desktop into the file cubby, it actually moves them on disk into the application support folder for this application. So you can clear stuff temporarily out of your you know, desktop or whatever folder you're working in and use it as kind of an interim space. And you can then pop it up. Even when you're in full screen mail, it'll slide down. You can drag a file out into an attachment or whatever. And then you can also use it to move bunches of files to other folders as kind of a, a holding chamber. Okay. And then you can copy stuff out of your clipboard, um, like selectively from your clipboard into the notepad, which is uh, persistent. And anytime you change a clipboard, the clipboard view updates, obviously. Um and that's really all it does. Uh, it's just, it's really pretty. It's well executed. And if you need those kind of features, it's uh, it's a good buy. And you'll never guess uh, how much it costs. Uh, I, I don't know. That I was, would say uh, cheating if I said I'm looking at it right now. How much is it? Two ninety nine. Two ninety nine. It's crazy. I'm, I'm looking. It looks really cool. Like. Uh, uh, when you were talking about it a second ago, it was it was trying to visualize it, so I just pulled it up. It is, yeah, it's just like you described. It's a multi-pane view, it looks like, at the top of the screen. It's pretty, though, right? Is this, and scroll down to open the panel. So it's kind of like a, a visor sort of effect? Yeah, exactly. Okay. It's a visor, and you can add, uh, like, uh, uh, additional hotkeys to trigger it if you, if you prefer. Yeah. But I really like the, like, just move to the top and scroll down trigger. Like, it's a really neat trigger for it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it, it's like a hot corner for the top of the screen, right? So Kind of. Yeah, but it doesn't just... You don't accidentally trigger it just right. because you hit the top of your screen. You actually have to, like, scroll. Right, right, right. Very cool. So, yeah, with my trackpad, it's like one finger up, two fingers down, and I get it. It's yeah. very cool. That is very cool to, yeah, keep it from being accidentally triggered. So it shows some foresight they knew. It's yes, like, they've dealt with those, these before. I hate those hot corners all the time. Time. I I turn those off. That's the first thing I turn off on a new Mac. Uh, I'm I'm about to. I'm at that point now. I I upgraded to finally upgraded to Mountain Lion a couple of months ago from Snow Leopard, and um, now with uh, Mission Control and everything, I'm just finding that I don't need those because you didn't have those same gestures in Snow Leopard. Right. And well, yeah. So- I mean, between Better Touch Tool and the Mountain Lion default like four finger gestures. Yeah. I wouldn't, hot corners are just a pain. I should just go ahead and turn them off. I don't use them anymore like I did. Like my, like the, like four finger pinch out. Yeah. Uh, to, I have that set to expose, expose my desktop. Yeah. Um, is that what it's, no, it's not expose. It's uh show desktop, I guess. Show, uh, yeah. And that gesture is just so intuitive to me. Mm-hmm. I love it. And then I have like, um, Pinch in, I think by default is uh, launch, launch, launch. What do they call it? Launchpad. Uh, launchpad. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, and so basically, like, I have all these rather intuitive gestures just on my trackpad that I don't 
I don't need a lot of uh, additional triggers, I guess. Yeah, I I use that that four finger swipe up for I guess that's sort of the expose of old yeah. records. Yeah, that, that goes that takes me to Mission Control on my computer. I don't remember if that's default or not. I use that all the time, and I have three desktops, which I should probably clean that up too. But I have three desktops, so it's useful if I need to move an app back or a screen yeah. back and forth. Um, yeah, and do more than I used to, but all right. That's neither here nor there. Okay, so number three for you. Number three is an iOS app. And in keeping, uh, I guess I should have mentioned, I sort of themed all these things together. Uh, Much better than I did, yes. My, my tools uh, on a day-to-day basis. Uh, Nebulous Notes for iOS. And I guess like a lot of people, I've tried a few different text editors and... In in my mind, Nebulous Notes just kind of, for, for my needs, it just blows them away. It allows me to access all my Dropbox files. Um, I can password protect it, which at work at my job is sort of a necessity. Um, and the extra row, it has an extra row of keys above it. And a few other editors have that, but Nebulous Notes is totally customizable and configurable. And I think that's the coolest because I can just take out what I don't need and add them uh, as I do in in the order I want them. And I do a lot of writing on the go. I have a lot of irons in the fire. So I'm just sort of like constantly hammering away at something. And this is just a totally flexible solution for all that. And it does a really good job syncing with Dropbox. Do you Um, have a, do you have a whole row of, um, Markdown shortcuts. That is exactly right. Yeah. That was the first thing I did when I got this app, like over a year ago, I guess, probably uh-huh. two years. But yeah, uh, once you once you build your own Markdown toolbar for it, it's so amazing. It, it really is. I mean, and on iPad, because I have it on the iPhone and the iPad, on, on iPad, I mean, I found a way for me that's very comfortable and natural to type. And to the point where, in some ways, I almost really enjoyed it um, over the uh, physical keyboard experience. But having it there where you have even more keys exposed on that row uh, and accessible, it's just I I was able to fly on it. And it can do uh, your your extra keyboard row shortcuts can wrap. So if you have a selection and you have like uh, like an asterisk. Uh, you can make it so that typing the asterisk in your extra keyboard row will actually wrap the selection in asterisk in, in Markdown. That makes it italics. And yeah, that was, it, it's so configurable. It's so great. It really is. And you can do CSS. You can make your, I, I have just to monkey around with it because right. I'm not like bumping files. Like you can put in a base URL. Um, <laughs> like it's crazy, but just to monkey around with it. Yeah. I just like, you know, put in a few, uh, put in a few tags in it and, and, uh, it renders that markdown preview just the way I want it. And uh, the number of things you can do with this thing, the developer, uh, is very thoughtful. And at one point I had a question about, uh, file type rendering. I think I forget what it was exactly. And he responded immediately. Uh, and was very courteous and helpful. So it's just a a win-win. 
Awesome. I'm glad we covered this. I can't remember if we've ever mentioned it before, but it really needed to be mentioned. I uh, agree. Yeah. <clears throat> I'm going to save writing kit. I totally want to talk about writing kit if I haven't yet. I have to go back through my notes and figure it out because everything about Nebulous reminds me of uh, kind of the thought process behind the app writing kit. But again, neither here nor there. Well, actually, it's here, but <laughs> um, but we'll save that one. Um, I have a number three that is, I'm pretty 99% sure this is a repeat, but it just updated with a vital feature. It's uh, it's mute my mic, which I'm quite, quite certain I mentioned a long time ago, um, you know, like a month maybe. Um, and, oh, wait, no, 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 no. I did mention mute my mic, but that's not the app I, that I actually want to talk about. I wrote my notes wrong. It's Shush, the other mic muting app. Uh, Shush from Mizage. Um, it basically it used to when you you could have push to talk, so you hold down the function key, and it would turn your mic on. And when you let go, you were on mute, which was awesome for conference calls. Yeah. They just added uh, cough button mode. So it's pushed to silence. So I've been using it this whole time. Every time I have to cough or grab a drink of water or something, I just hold down my function key nice. and it's instantly muted and then unmuted. And it works perfectly with Skype and other apps. Um, so yeah, shush, shush. And I, again, uh, would have to look up the price. I'm so bad at that. Two ninety nine. Two nine. You are so good at that. I'm glad you're here. <laughs> I was thinking about that earlier because I had to cough and I had to bring up the logic screen. and <laughs> Yeah, it, and it makes noise and getting there and you never get there in time. Yeah, yeah. Because when you have to cough, you have to cough. That's yeah, just going to happen. It's, 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 it's coming whether you like it or not. Exactly. So another two ninety nine app um, that is definitely worth it. If you, if you do conference calls for work, if you do podcasting if you do any kind of recording uh that's live it's an indispensable app now yeah you have to have something like that and i've spent enough time trying to hack together my own i love that that i can i can say that this this little app is totally worth the the money and the time it will save you i can't believe you did that to your iphone (laughs) (laughs) oh did you see summon i think i mentioned that last week yeah, yeah. Oh, that yeah. was just crazy. And my wife has actually started using that. Oh, no, really? Uh, in a good way. I mean, I she's oh. more than welcome to. I'm not an easy person to get uh, the attention of. Yeah. So all of a sudden, my computer dings and my, my <laughs> power mate starts flashing really fast. And that means I've been uh, called, See, summoned. I would use that for powers of evil. I know. I- and, and if I didn't trust my wife as much as I do, I would never would have created that for her. I have, <laughs> I have an old uh, computer, an old PowerBook, actually running at home as a sort of uh, hacked together server, and um, I will. My wife runs her business out of our house, so I will sometimes just when I don't have anything to do, I will uh, log in and uh, use the terminal to just say things to her. Uh, so <laughs> I do. <laughs> yes, I know exactly how you do that. It's so bad, like, <laughs> and it's so so nerdy. Um, but I think it's hilarious, and and that's what matters. <laughs> <laughs> we would we would uh, we would enjoy hanging out. I'm quite certain. 
Speaking of, I'm wondering, like, I'm looking at notes, and we got through about, like, half of the stuff that I kind of wanted to touch on. Yeah. Would you be willing to come back uh, in a future week, and we can do a second uh, installment of this one? Sure. Yeah, I'd be totally happy to. I will I will contact you about that. Rather than trying to do an after dark kind of thing with this. Okay. I think it'd be really fun to continue this conversation and I think uh I think most of the uh the listening audience would definitely approve of that. And I yeah, I would be totally uh totally psyched to do that. Uh the brain goes on forever. Yeah. <laughs> it's an ongoing series now. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll wrap it up there at an hour and a half. And uh, I will read another sponsor, and then uh, and then then I'll uh, we'll wrap up. So sponsor number four is Hover.com, and it, uh, Hover.com is simplified domain management. You've probably registered a domain with a company that just wants to sell you services you're not interested in, when all you want is a simple .com, .net, or maybe a .co or .tv. Hover makes it easy. Just enter the domain name you're interested in into their search box, and Hover will tell you if it's available. If not, it'll come up with some suggestions. You can also just type in a few keywords, and Hover will figure out some available domains using that uh, using those terms for you, like some kind of mind-reading silicon fortune cookie. Uh, they have real human beings available for support, and their number is right on the front page of their website. If you ever have any problems, just pick up the phone and call. They have a no-hold policy and somebody just answers the phone. Seamless transfers from other providers, elegant DNS management, email hosting, and more. And even though I'm not Dan, if you use the code DANSENTME or visit hover.com slash DANSENTME, you'll get 10% off of everything you buy from hover.com. And and I do love Hover. Definitely check that out. And this conversation has been fascinating to me. I am definitely looking forward to uh, to continuing with uh, with Howard Budden here. Uh, so thanks thanks a ton for being here, and uh, and I'll get in touch with you about uh, continuing this. Awesome! Thank you so much for for uh, inviting me on. I, I had an outstanding time. It's been a pleasure, and we'll see everybody in a week. <laughs>